The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, August 20th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good morning. My name is uh, Tim. I have the enormous honor of serving as one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. Uh, it truly is a joy to be able to uh, gather together uh, with you today. Um, I personally just want to say a special welcome to all those who are, who are new or visiting with us. I'm really glad that you're here, that you've taken the, the time. Summer can be a time of a lot of change uh, for people, and that can come with excitement and uncertainty. And so I know walking into a new place isn't always easy or comfortable. So. Uh, I'm really glad that you're here with us, and I hope that you'll be encouraged uh, by your time with us. Um, uh, a couple of things. Uh, first, uh, something to clear up from uh, last week. If you were here last week, uh, you know that I went pretty hard against Paw Patrol. Um, <laughs> parents, I'm sorry if I offended any of you, because uh, yesterday I got an email. Um, not from anybody in this church, uh, but from someone with the title in all caps to that email, Paul Patrol is back. Um, and apparently it was some Paul Patrol, Patrol related newsletter. And I can promise you I have not signed up for any Paul Patrol related newsletter. So um, if you did sign me up for that, thank you. Um, uh, also, I, I, you know, Ray, Ray uh, uh, prayed about it, um, but today at 3, we're going to have a baptism down by the river. It's not too far from here. Um, these times are so encouraging and, and so wonderful to just, to just hear and celebrate uh, what God is doing in the lives of, of his people, uh, to see those who have been saved and are following Jesus in, in obedience. It is a, is a sweet time. Uh, to uh, just be refreshed and encourage yourself, uh, but to share that with others. And so um, I hope you'll be able to, to, to join us out there uh, today. Uh, this summer, we have been going through the, the book of uh, Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs uh, shows us uh, what wisdom in our daily life and our, in our uh, walks looks like. We have said since the beginning of this series that Proverbs teaches us to live skillfully in, in every situation in life. It is not a checklist to follow, but it is a guide to live our lives in, in, in God's wisdom. Uh, so for the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at um, our need um, to give and to receive correction or discipline. Last week, we talked specifically about the need to welcome correction into our, our lives. If we're going to grow in wisdom, if we're going to be wise in this world, then we have to be able to hear God's voice speaking to us. Uh, through others and through his, his word. And, and oftentimes that will be in the form of correction. And so um, uh, in many ways, this week is meant to be kind of a part two uh, to what we started last week. Um, if we are going to be able to welcome correction into our lives, um, then we are going to have to have trusted, faithful people in our lives, trusted, faithful friends in our lives to speak to us. So this week we will be, we'll be talking about friendship. Uh, friendship, I, I believe, is not something that we give real serious consideration to as part of the Christian life. Uh, friendship might have felt one, important at one time in our lives when we were children, 
Um, but it, it, it hasn't got the same weight anymore. Uh, the single greatest sports movie of all time is The Sandlot. Um, <laughs> the movie is, is uh, nearly perfect, and as much as it is about baseball, it is really about childhood friendship. Uh, in the very beginning of the movie, Smalls has just moved into town, and his mom sits him down and is trying to convince him to go outside and just says to him bluntly, I want you to make some friends this summer, lots of them. Um, one of the measures of success in childhood, one of the, the measures of a successful childhood is having a group of friends. As parents, we see how important that is, and we want that for our, for our children. But as adults, uh, we see friendship as something that is, that is nice, um, but it's not necessary, and it's not truly important. Um, we don't see friendship as essential to our lives. Uh, but friendship is talked about a lot throughout the, throughout the Bible, as we will see today. And, and where it is talked about most often is in the book of Proverbs. The, the Scottish pastor, Hugh Black, said this about the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs might also might be called a treatise on friendship. There is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of, of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept. So we are going to, to start today with a, with a proverb that has been a comfort to many, and, and I think it's, since it's familiar, I hope it will be a great help to us today. We will look at many verses in Proverbs this morning, but we're just going to start looking at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Um, this is, this is one of those passages that has been, you know, written on walls and, and held close to our hearts. This is Proverbs 18, 24. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, Father, help us, help us today to see you most clearly, uh, to see how you have been so faithful, how you have stayed so close to us, um, how you have been the, the, the friend that we all so desperately need. Um, we thank you for your faithfulness. We praise you for it. Um, we ask that you would teach us today, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I have one question uh, I want you to, to uh, give consideration to this morning. It shouldn't take you long. Um, just simply, what picture comes into your mind when I say the word friend? It might have already popped up since we've been talking about it, but what do you think of when you hear friend? For some of you, when you hear that word, you are immediately taken back to college or to childhood. Maybe you are picturing somebody very specific in your mind. Maybe you are thinking about social media and you are thinking about all of the many Facebook friends that you have. Uh, maybe you don't think about anyone. Maybe you don't feel like you've ever truly uh, had a friend. How you define friendship, what you picture and what you see, what you, what you think of when you think of friendship will determine so much about your life. Uh, it, will, it will determine so much of how you actually go about living your life. The word and idea of, of friendship for much of human history has had a much deeper and richer meaning than it currently does in our culture. And thankfully, God has a much richer and deeper meaning when he defines friendship. Uh, nearly 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine said this about friendship. He says, in this world, two things are essential, life and friendship. Both should be highly prized and we must not undervalue them. 
The great 19th century pastor J.C. Ryle said it this way, the world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our trouble and doubles our joys. Friendship cuts in half our troubles and doubles our joy. These, these quotes are not coming from men who didn't have a high view of, of God and, and a high view of the gospel. These, these quotes are from men who treasured the gospel above all, who proclaimed the glory of God in all things. And yet they also had a remarkably, view, a remarkably high view of friendship. For much of human history, this, this, this word has been much more valued and it had real, real meaning. Eugene Peterson writes that friendship is, is a much underestimated aspect of the Christian faith. faith. It is every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Friendship isn't a nice add-on to the Christian life if we, if we want to. It is truly essential for us. And so my hope today is, is not that you would look at your current state, your current friends, and think, Tim's right. I need better friends. Um, <laughs> you, you very well might need better friends, but that's not the point today. Um, my hope today is that each of us sees how God defines friendship. How Jesus has been a friend to us. And then that, that would lead us to be the kind of friends that God has called us to be. Uh, God wants you to have real meaningful friendships. True biblical friendships. And so if, if that's true, then today we need to take an honest look at why it is so hard for many of us. Why this is such a difficult thing. The Bible has much to say about why friendship is, is difficult. The first reason true friendship is difficult is because we have settled for the world's idea of friendship. The verse we started with here, Proverbs 18, 24, starts with a man of many companions may come to ruin. People in our society today are clamoring to have more and more friends. Today, the word friends, most popular and most common usage for adults really probably has to do with Facebook. And, and, I, and I think social media just, just, just points to the truth of what we currently believe about friendship. Um, it doesn't define it for us, but it points to what we believe about it. Our culture thinks of friendships in terms of quantity. How many friends can you invite to your party? How many friends do you have online? We think less in terms of the quality and, and what makes up the friendship. We want as many people as possible to see the very best version of us. Pastor Ray Ortland describes real friendship this way. He said, friendship should be more like a submarine, that, that something that holds a few people and is able to go deep. But we've made it more like a cruise ship filled with lots, lots of nice people who we don't really know well at all. We are, we are more connected than at any time in history, and yet also in many ways we feel more lonely than we ever have before. We are connected in ways people never could have imagined, and yet we feel alone. Because we can't let people, even, even the people that we consider friends, see who we truly are. We can't let them see the real struggles that we live in. We can't let them see the real sins that, that our heart is taken, taken by, that we are grappling with. We believe that if anyone truly saw what was going on in our hearts and our lives, that no one would ever want to be our friend. And so we have to let them only see the best version of ourselves. We have to keep every relationship at a surface level. 
And so we can have a hundred friends and feel alone in the world. We can have a thousand friends on Facebook and still feel like no one knows us at all. A man of many companions may come to ruin. So friendship is, is hard first because we've settled for, for versions of it that fall, fall short of what God has in mind for friendship. And then secondly, friendship is hard because we've been hurt deeply by those that we considered friends. Those that, that are closest to us. We've been hurt by those relationships. Our deepest pain often comes from those closest to us. Every single friend that we have in this world, every single friend that we have in this, in this life is a sinful, flawed person. Friends often let us down. They disappoint us. They sin against us. They dis- disappoint us. They desert us. The Bible doesn't, doesn't shy away from this. And the Apostle Paul talks about this. Paul had a close friend named Demas. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he, he actually refers to Demas as my close friend. In the book of Philemon, he refers to him as a fellow worker in the gospel. Like my close friend, my fellow worker. But as Paul's almost final words that we get to see, in Paul's last letter that he wrote, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're, we're told more about what happened with Demas. This is one of the last things that Paul ever wrote. He says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas has deserted me. We were close friends. We worked together for the sake of the gospel. And he abandoned me. God, God chose to record those words. Those words aren't in there by accident. We often look at the ends of letters and just disregard them. God chose to record those words in the Bible so that everyone throughout history would read those words. That means it's important. The hurt that we experience from friends is real and it matters. It hurts when someone close to us lets us down, disappoints us, leaves us. Friendships like parenting, like marriage, should be built on trust and love for one another. And when it is broken, it is very natural for us then to create distance between ourselves and other people. The more we're hurt by it, the less we want it, the less we believe in it. When we are hurt by our friends, it lessens our belief in how valuable it is, how meaningful friendships are. So we start to pull away. We pull away from once close friends. We pull away from investing in new friendships so that we can protect our own hearts and our emotions from being hurt again. As much as, as those things hurt, and as much as that is true, and we've, many of us have experienced it, it's not just everybody else that's the problem. Uh, we are a part of that problem. We are not sinless in, in this. Uh, we can say that other people have hurt us, but more than likely we have hurt other people as well. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 26 we're told many a man proclaims his steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Many of us proclaim our steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. We are quick to believe the best about ourselves, to, to believe that we are good friends and that it, the problem is everyone else. Most of us proclaim our steadfast love, believe that we are more faithful than we are, Believe that we are good, faithful friends. The Apostle Peter proclaimed his steadfast love to Jesus. 
He looked at Jesus and said, even if, I, if, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. I will never deny you, Jesus. My love for you is faithful. It is steadfast. I'm committed. And it was only a little while later that Peter would deny Jesus three times. We all want to think that we are more faithful than we are. We want to believe that we are truly Christ-like friends. But if, as much as our friends have hurt us and let us down, we have hurt others and let them down. Which is why the third reason that true friendship is hard is because of self. We are selfish, self-centered, self-reliant, self-important. We can just keep going. Self makes it really, really hard to be a good friend. And if we're honest, we're all self-centered creatures. I very naturally place myself at the center of all of my relationships. I start most of my relationships thinking, will this person be good for me? What will this person do for me? Friendship is hard because we are, we are so selfish. Proverbs 18.1 tells us about this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. When we isolate ourselves, when we pull ourselves away, it is because we seek our own desire, because we are selfish and we want what we want. We're going to seek those things and no one is going to tell us to do differently. No one is going to slow us down from getting what we want. What we, want. we believe our lives are the most important thing in the world. We often communicate our importance uh, in, in many different ways, but often I think for me, I, I communicate it with simply the words, I'm just really busy. Many times when we communicate that to people, and, and I try not to do it as much, but I, I realize when we communicate that to people, what they hear is, I'm too busy and important for you. Uh, busyness is, is something that we can proclaim our importance, but what does it do to those hearing about it? What does it do to those who call us friends, who just hear over and over again, we're just too busy? Busyness keeps us active. It keeps us feeling accomplished and fulfilled. It keeps us feeling important. Uh, and because of that, busyness often works against true friendship because true friendship requires time. It requires work and commitment. It requires humility and patience. If we're going to build meaningful, true friendships, then sacrifices have to be made at some point. But we are often too busy and self-consumed to give even an hour or two in a week or a month to cultivating biblical friendship. We are going to have to be able to look at other people if we want this, if we desire this the way God wants us to. We're going to have to look at other people and say, you are important. You are important to God and you are important to me. Because we are so self-centered, it is really hard to say that and, and mean it to others. This is why Philippians chapter 2 is, is so valuable and important. Um, this is the Apostle Paul talking. And while it doesn't describe a friend, he is telling the church there that he wants them to be of one mind and one accord. And then he goes on to explain the beauty of, of Christ and the humility of Christ and what he's done for us. And right in between there, in verses 3 and 4, he gives us something really important. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says... Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant or important than yourselves. 
do nothing from selfish ambition. I'm just, I'm just done after that statement. Um, in, there, in verse four, Paul gets more specific. He says, don't just be interested in your own life, but also be interested in the lives of others. If we are the center of all things, then we will never truly be able to, to love someone else and be, be the friend that God has called us to be. Our pride, our selfishness will always keep us from being able to be a true friend. True, dif- true friendship is difficult. It's difficult because of others letting us down. It is difficult because we are very self-centered creatures. And it is difficult because we have accepted a shallow, incomplete version of friendship. But, but God has not let us down. And he has painted a very compelling picture. A very compelling image of what friendship should be. We don't need to come up with our own definition of friendship. Most of the time, we think we just get to define it. We just get to figure out what it is. But we don't have to do that. God has defined it for us. And I think he has done that very clearly in Proverbs chapter 27. You can go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. In the pew Bibles in front of you, I think it's page 548. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at Proverbs chapter 27, verses 6 through 10. These words are are beautiful and helpful. This is Proverbs 27, verses 6 through 10. We're told, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. God has painted a compelling picture of what friendship is here in Proverbs 27. He starts with faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuses, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is what we were talking about last week when we discussed receiving godly correction. So we won't get into it too much. But just to add to what we said last week, we need to welcome correction into our life. But that correction is best given and best received by someone close to you. Someone that you trust, someone that you know has your best in mind. It's important for us to hear those things, even though they might hurt, even though they might wound us. And that's why it's so important that we receive those things from a true friend. God knows what we need so perfectly, and he knows that you and I cannot become wise without faithful Christian friends speaking into our lives. So God has put people in in our lives to help us grow in wisdom. So we need to listen to them even when their words hurt us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why are they described here? Why are the wounds here described as, as faithful? They're faithful because we can trust those words. We can trust that they are actually for our good. You can trust their words of correction. Trust that they are actually intended to be for your good. They don't just criticize or correct because they like to criticize and correct. A lot of people in this world like to criticize. That's not what a trusted friend does. They don't just criticize you because they want to be seen as insightful or smart. They correct you because they love you. 
The verse goes on to say, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Even an enemy can tell you how, how great you are again and again. They will affirm every position you take in life. They will side with you in every disagreement. They will press like on everything that you post on social media. They will tell you to your face everything that you want to hear. And that is not what you actually need in life. For most of us, we crave affirmation so much. We, we crave to know that people affirm us so much that this becomes what we want our friends to do. But the Bible says profuse are the kisses of an enemy. When someone won't tell you that they think you're wrong about something, then you cannot trust what they're saying. When someone won't tell you that you're, you're, you're wrong, they are not a faithful friend because you don't know if what they're saying is genuine or true. That doesn't do anyone any good. A true friend helps you become wise through correction. You can trust their words. And then secondly, a true friend brings joy to your heart through their words. Verse 9 in Proverbs 27 tells us, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. This might seem in opposition to what we just said, but it actually goes hand in hand. It's an important part of this. The earnest counsel that is described here is simply sincere and heartfelt words. Well, verse 8 tells us that we need to receive correction. Verse 9 is focused on hearing and receiving encouragement. Hearing and receiving exhortation to be strengthened. As much as we need trusted correction, we need faithful counsel. We need encouragement. We need to be strengthened. It is hard for me to hear correction, but it is also hard for me to actually hear and receive encouragement as well. I just don't often trust the words that others are giving. And in friends, in biblical true friends, we find that. We find words that will make the heart glad. The Apostle Paul again talks about this. He sends this very long letter to, to the church in Rome. And he starts that letter in Romans chapter 1. In verses 11 and 12, he says to them, I long to see you. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. I long to see you. I, I, I desperately want to see you because I want to strengthen and encourage you. And I need to be strengthened and encouraged by you. The oil that is being referenced here in Proverbs 27. It says oil and perfume makes the heart glad. This oil would have had two purposes. It was essentially the equivalent to butter for us today. Uh, it, was, it was used to improve the taste of, of most every other food. It just made all other foods taste better. And then this same oil was used for healing and medicine. It was butter and medicine. It just sounds amazing. <laughs> then the perfume or fragrance described here was, was used to soothe and calm someone. Specifically for those who were, who were stressed or anxious or nervous. Um, was used to calm their heart and their mind. So what this verse is saying is that a true friend 
while they'll be willing to wound us, is, is also going to use their words to be refreshing, to be healing, to be soothing to our souls. True friends make the rest of life taste better. The, they make our hearts rejoice. True friends are going to build us up. They're going to see what God is doing in our lives and point it out and encourage us to keep going after that. They're going to strengthen us when we are weak. They're going to make things better. We should look forward to what they have to say to us. If you are one who, who easily offers correction and discipline, you need to grow in this. You need to become more of this. You, you don't need to just correct. You also need to see where someone is growing, to see where someone is victorious in their life, to see where sin is being defeated and point that out and encourage it. That is the kind of friendship that we need in our lives. God uses Christian friends in our lives to keep us from sinning, to sustain us through difficult seasons. Friends, stir us up to do the good things that God has planned for us. As much as we need correction from a friend, we can trust them when they build us up. We can trust that they also intend that for our good. They aren't just flattering us. They aren't just saying things to, to make it sound good to our ears. They are trying to build us up and strengthen us for what God has called us to. So we see that a true friend brings gladness to our hearts. And then we see that a true friend is committed to the friendship. We're told, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not forsake your friend. Proverbs 17 verse 7 says says something very similar, but in a different way. It says, a friend loves at all times. Do not forsake your friend, and a friend loves at all times. Is that the level of commitment that we think of when we think about our friends? I think most of us know we have had friendships end over matters of personal preference. They've ended because we've, we, we have said we've just drifted apart or we had some disagreement that we just decided the friendship is not worth working it out. Just don't want to do that. While those situations are common, true friendship, the kind of friendship that God has intended for us is not based on personal preference. True friendships shouldn't just naturally just drift apart or be doomed by disagreements that we don't want to work through. One author put it this way, is really helpful to me. We should begin to imagine friendship as more stable, as more permanent, and more binding than we often do. We should begin to consider at least some of our friends as important as family. We should begin to consider at least some of our friends as important to us as family. A friend is always there for you. A friend is committed. The verse that we started with, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, we were told there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. True biblical friendship doesn't just show up when it's convenient. It doesn't help out when no one else is there. It doesn't just help out when we finally find that we have enough time. True biblical friendship is a committed biblical love. A friend is someone who loves at all times, good times, difficult times. They are there. They rejoice with us. They weep with us. That kind of friendship doesn't just drift apart. 
A true friend is committed to the friendship. And then finally, we see that a true friend is close enough to help. This is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. And the last verse here. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Uh, in college, I was able to go on a trip uh, to Kenya and Tanzania. And at the end of that trip, our group got to go on a safari. And uh, if you've never been on a real safari before, it's terrifying. Um, you get way too close to the animals and the guide uh, is, is, seems to not be worried at all, but he's not telling you why he's not worried. Um, so at one point, we stopped by a watering hole uh, where there was a rhino there. And it was amazing. He's just there drinking. And so we stop and our guide tells us, you can get out of the truck. Um, looking back, we probably should have asked more questions, but uh, we were in college. So we just, we just got out and we're walking around and we're trying, we're trying to walk close enough to get you know, the best picture possible. And as we're walking around, I take uh, a step and, and I just sink down into what I believed at the time was mud, uh, about waist high. Um, now, when this happens, the guide immediately says to me, don't move. Um, and almost literally at the same time, the rhino turns and looks at me. Um, now, full confession, I don't have a lot of rhino knowledge in my life at this point. Um, so I don't know if this is some kind of trap. Uh, if, if the rhino's going to charge at me, I played Donkey Kong and rhinos just plow through things in that. So I don't know if I'm stepping on his turf. I just know that I need to get out of this mess fast and no one is coming to help me. But everyone is yelling their advice at me as they move closer to the truck. Um, somebody reiterates, don't move. Somebody else says, no, 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 that's not right. You need to move, but move slowly. No sharp movements. Somebody else said you need to wiggle your way out, which I, don't, I still don't know what that would have done. Um, all the while, I'm really, really stuck, and that 3,000-pound rhino is just staring me down. And then finally, two of my closest friends brave the elements and the rhino and come give me a hand and lift me out of there. After that day, I have never had a difficult time understanding this verse. Better is a friend who is near than a brother who is far away. <laughs> I didn't need 20 people yelling at me advice from a distance. I needed somebody to come there, get into this mess with me, and make sure I didn't get hit by a rhino. We need friends who are close enough to help us. They know when we're weak and we need help. They hear our confession and, and they know the sins that so easily take hold of our hearts. And they are, they are close enough to, to know that when we're experiencing victory, to be set free from that sin. We, we, we need friends who are close enough to rejoice with us, who are close enough that we can cry with them and grieve and, and, and they care enough to listen when we've been hurt. It is so much easier to be a Christian with, with somebody from a distance. If I keep you at a distance, then all I need to do is hurl Bible verses at you and, and, and I feel like I've done the right thing. I can, I can keep my distance and just throw things at you and feel like I've done my duty as a Christian. But we need friends who come close. When we feel like we are sinking in, uh, under the weight of, of grief or our sin or anxiety, we need people who are gonna come close, who see us sinking, 
And they come close and they, and they, they come and they put their arms around us and care about us and carry us. Matthew chapter 28, right before Jesus is about to, to ascend into heaven, he gives what many of us have heard before, what many of us know as the Great Commission. He is about to tell his, his disciples his, his, his Great Commission for their life, to go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, go and, and scatter and just, just be intense about making disciples. But right before he talks to them, it has this great little statement, these great five words in verse 18. It just says, Jesus came close to them. Jesus did not stay far away from us. He came close to us. And then he went on to promise them and say, I am with you always, wherever you go, even to the ends of the earth. That is what Jesus has said. That is what he, as our friend, has said. God has called us to be, to be friends who are willing to give correction and encouragement. He has called us to be committed friends who are there in good times and difficult times. And we desperately need Christ-like friends who will get close to us to help us to, to see and apply that, those, those wonderful truths to our lives. I know this isn't always easy. I know some of you are thinking, I, I want this, but I haven't been able to find it. Maybe you've been deeply hurt by those you considered friends, and maybe you've realized that you, you've personally never been a faithful, honest, loving friend to anyone. No matter what, no matter what you're thinking right now, there is hope. There is hope for healing from those wounds, and there is forgiveness when we have failed as friends. That hope is found in Jesus. Jesus, who has looked at us and said in John 15, verse 15, now I call you my friend. Jesus is about to, 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 to go to the cross and he wants his followers to know, I consider you my friends. We must let God's definition of words like friend take hold of our hearts and minds and not the cultural definition. Because if that's what we think, then what Jesus said has no meaning whatsoever. You call me your friend, what does that mean to me? He explains to them though what it does mean. He gives them right before that what a true and faithful friend does. Jesus says in verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Are these the images? Are these the thoughts that when we get, when we think about our friends? Jesus is getting ready to go willingly to the cross, to suffer and to die. And he wants them to know how valuable they are, how important they are, what he thinks of them. He calls them his friends. The one who sustains all things. The one who was there in the beginning when all things were created. The one who will reign forever and ever looks at you and I and says, I will be right beside you in difficult times. I will be there with you no matter what you go through. And I will lay down my life for you, my friend. That's what Jesus means when he calls you his friend. Jesus promises to be with us in every situation. He is patient when wronged. He does not return evil for, for evil. He gently corrects us, but while also joyfully encouraging us. He looks at people who had made themselves enemies of him. He looks at people who had put the most space and distance possible between us and them. And he says, you are my friends. I love you. And he willingly offers his life. He lays down his life 
for his friends. Jesus has been the perfect friend that we so desperately need. I hope that you're thankful and appreciative for those friends that in your life that have been this for you. And I hope that as we pursue Jesus and we see Jesus do these things perfectly, that we will do more and we will pursue that more to be this kind of friend for others. No matter what, no matter how bad we fail or how bad people fail us, Jesus will never fail us. He is the perfect friend that we so desperately need. There's a, there's a wonderful old friend that talks about, there's a wonderful old hymn that talks about Jesus as her friend. And, and these are just a few lines. It's based on a poem that was written in the 19th century. And it just says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, burdened with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield you. You will find his comfort there. Blessed Savior, you have promised all of our burdens you will bear. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's take these things now to God in prayer. Father, I thank you and praise you that you are the giver of all good things, all good gifts. Father, and I thank you for the beautiful gift of friendship. I thank you for the people that you've put in my life that have, have been these things for me. I thank you that when I have not done them well, you have graciously forgiven me and reminded me to do these things. Father, forgive me when I'm, I am self-righteous, self-centered, self-important. Thank you so much that when we made ourselves so important that you came and humbly gave yourself. Thank you that when we made ourselves your enemies, even when we were concerned with nothing but ourselves, you made us your friends. You have done that work. Father, remind us of that this week. Remind us that you sent your son into this world and that he gave his life willingly and cheerfully so that I could know what life is, so that I could know what friendship is. Let that lead me to be a better friend to others. Help me to, to listen carefully, to give my time cheerfully and sacrificially. Father, I, I trust you with what you'll do with it. Father, turn us to see Jesus. Turn our eyes to see your son and all that he's done for us this morning. Let that move us towards one another. Father, we all desperately need this and we thank you that you are the one that provides so perfectly. We all ask all these things in the beautiful and saving name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.